Matthew eleven twenty through 30. <clears throat> then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works have been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Teresin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom. It would have, been, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At the time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows this Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. It's so great to be with you on a Tuesday night. I so appreciate it. You showing up on a Tuesday um, and... Tonight made me realize like we are in the dog days of summer, just not just because it's been so hot, but because like it's still so light in here. And so part of me, when we were back, when I was back in the back and we were, I was worshiping as the band was leading us, I was like, in a few more months, we'll have like the cozy weather start to happen. And I kind of love it when you come in here and it's like getting dark and it's just kind of warm. I don't know. I like that. Anyway. Okay. All right. I love the dog days though. Uh, so here, here's the deal with tonight's passage. And if you've got your Bible, go ahead and leave it open. Matthew's the first book of the New Testament. We're gonna be pretty much in chapter 11 the whole time. The deal with this passage is, it's really like someone hands you a really, really great piece of meat to go on the smoker or the grill. Now, if you're a vegetarian, you can stop listening. But if you're not, and they hand you that, what you don't wanna do is overcook it. You also don't want to take it off too soon. You just want to kind of let it do its thing. And that's what's so incredible about this passage. We kind of just want it to do its thing. And we want the Lord to minister to us through this word. It is such a sweet and powerful word. The reason that I included all of verses 20 through 20 or through 30 is because I think you do need to know the background of what's happening. So let me pray for us and we're just gonna dig in. Father, we do thank you for this word. We thank you that people like Dane Ortland and many, many others have written, have written songs, have written books, great poetry about the beauty of Jesus's words. Maybe some of his most comforting words that he ever spoke are at the end of chapter 11 in Matthew. Lord, would you please speak to all of our hearts, whether we are new in thinking about you or whether we've been walking with you for years. Lord, would you call us back to you in the sweetest of ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
So two weeks ago when we gathered before uh, July 4th, uh, we, we talked about expectations. And tonight's still a little bit about expectations and, and how Jesus didn't live up to John's expectation, John the Baptist. That's in the first part of chapter 11. And, uh, and, and I asked a few folks who had gone on the Israel mission trip with us to write letters to me, to send me some notes about what they saw, what they experienced when they were in Israel, because so many of the places you go, even the three cities that were mentioned, Bethsaida, Chorazin, um, at Sidon, all those cities, um, those, those cities that are in here, uh, they all are cities that you can, you can go and you can visit and you can see. And what you see is, man... People had the wrong expectation of Jesus. And so uh, I want to reread one of those letters. It's by Hannah Drake, um, who, great girl, some lucky fella ought to take her out. Uh, I, I hyped up the boys last time. There were, it was Hannah and two boys, and so I'm hyping up Hannah this time. Tall, redheaded girl, real sweet, loves the Lord, very godly. Um, in Arabic, you would say yella yella, which means hurry up, fellas. Uh, and so here we go. Here's what, here's what Hannah wrote while she was in Israel about this idea of misinterpreting Jesus. She said, on the Palm Sunday road, thinking about the Jews that knew the scriptures and thought they were witnessing the triumphant king and worshiping him, thinking about how he was to overthrow, uh, thinking he was to overthrow Rome, that's the main thing I've been sharing about this trip with my friends. How many times, even knowing the word, the Bible, I can still turn and find myself wanting things from Jesus. Listen to this line, it's so good. Wanting things from Jesus instead of wanting him and trusting what he is doing as more wise and more loving than I can ever imagine. The problem so often whether it's reading in the scriptures or whether it's in our daily lives is we want Jesus to be something he's not, or we want him to do something that he's perfectly capable of doing, but he chooses to not do that in your life in this moment because he has a different plan. And we are faced with, am I okay with Jesus being Jesus? And tonight, this idea, it continues into what I think is one of the sweetest, but maybe not fully explored things that Jesus said. And the idea, it's simple. It's easy to make Jesus into something he's not, and all it takes is one or two degrees to get off, and you've created a whole new gospel. You've created a whole new brand of Christianity, and it's actually pretty big business, uh, I'll, I'll give you a, a quick example. Some of you come from a charismatic background and, uh, and you're familiar with much more charismatic expressions than maybe you experience here. And maybe you're like, these folks need to loosen up a little bit. Uh, and you wanna have like a whole night on like why you should raise your hands. And by the way, I do raise my hands. I think it's a great expression of worship. But the problem, one of the problems in the charismatic movement, one of those one or two degrees that have happened in some, not all charismatic movements, is that the Holy Spirit is so celebrated and you feel the Holy Spirit when you worship, eventually you kind of learn to worship the feeling of the Holy Spirit. And you're just one or two degrees off, but you've really created a whole new gospel. Now, for some of you stage cagers out there, um, 
you don't get off the hook. Uh, and so the problem with you is that you're like, ah, I'm going to pursue God through learning. And what eventually happens if you're not careful, you also get one or two degrees off and you end up in the pursuit of knowledge rather than in the pursuit of God. And you too have created a whole new brand of Christianity. And what we want to do is we want to see the real Jesus and we want to sit with him and we want to be, we want to be okay sitting with him. And that's exactly what happened in John the Baptist's life. He knew Jesus could get him out of prison. He knew Jesus could overthrow the Romans. And this is all in the first part of Matthew chapter 11. He knew all of this. And he says to Jesus, aren't you the one who's supposed to come? Aren't you the Messiah? And Jesus quotes back verses of all messianic importance out of the book of Isaiah. And ultimately he says, of course I'm the Messiah. But for you, John, you don't get out of prison. And in fact, when Jesus confronts John and says, John, are you okay with me being me? There's an incredible verse. It's in Matthew eleven six, 6. And Jesus says to him, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That same idea, Matthew eleven six, 6, goes through the whole rest of the passage. Are you and I okay with Jesus being Jesus and doing what he's going to do, whether it lines up with our expectations and hopes or not. That's the, that's the dilemma every human has to square up with. So without further ado, let's go to Matthew chapter 11, verse 20, uh, where Ashley began to read. And I want you to see that in Matthew 11, 20 through 24, we have a whole section here that I would call, this is the woe section. And I'll, I'll illustrate it to you. Let me read it. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. To you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it'll be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you and you, Capernaum. Will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. If the mighty works done and you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Do you realize that every time Jesus has shown up in your life and done something incredible, whether it was get you the job, whether it was get you into the college, whether it was get you like the roommate at the last minute, um, whether it was the parking spot at Christmas when things were busy, like whenever he's shown up in your life and you're like, thank you, Lord. Maybe it was a major health thing. Maybe it was a major financial thing. Maybe, maybe you just know God has shown up in your life in a powerful way. Do you realize that every time he's shown up in your life, it was to get you to follow him? I'll show it to you here in the first line of these verses. He says, he began to denounce the city where what? Where most of his mighty works had been done. Why? Because they did not repent. 
Mighty works are made to show us that we need to turn to God. Mighty works, when God shows up, are made to help us repent. And what does repent mean? It means to turn and follow. When God shows up in a mighty way in your life, it is to wake you up and not say, cool, now I can go on with my life a little bit more comfortable than I could yesterday. And by the way, if you operate that way, you are operating on a ticking time bomb. All of these cities are living proof that you can't stay that way for long. What happens here is that when Jesus shows up and does something incredible in your life, he is demonstrating a complicated idea. That is, he's bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. So when he... uh, when he shows up, I see some of you that have just, just graduated and you're like taking on your, your big boy and big girl jobs. And for the rest of us, we are so proud of you. You're starting over. Welcome to freshman year all over again. Uh, and so like you're starting that and you're like, man, the Lord really got me through some things when I was in college. He did. And he did for all of us. But it was to help us follow him. He was bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth in our little tiny lives. Not so that we could get the job or do the thing, but so that we would learn, oh, he's here, he's present. Let me turn and follow him. Uh, It is complicated. I'll give you two big examples. When a person gets healed, it reveals that God's ultimate, that in God's ultimate kingdom, there will be no sickness. And so when he heals someone, he is bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. When he does not heal someone, which he's perfectly capable of doing, he is also bringing the kingdom to earth by saying, for now, my grace is sufficient for all things. And your life happens to be an example that all creation is groaning and calling out for all things to be made new. In either scenario, the kingdom is coming. And the question is, are we okay with that kingdom? These people... In these three cities, I did say the wrong city a minute ago, I just got tongue-tied, but these three cities, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, all three of these cities, Jesus did incredible amounts of miracles in. In fact, half of his miracles up to this point in the book of Matthew all happened in Capernaum. They all happened in these three towns. And each time, Jesus brings the kingdom of heaven to earth. It should have been understood by the people. This was to reveal that God loves us, that he sees us, that he cares for us. But instead, they just assumed, now I can get on with my life a little more comfortable today than I could yesterday. They abused the grace of God and wanted to just get more and more without ever turning and following him. Now, Here's the interesting thing about these three cities. You can go visit Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum today. And every one of those cities is a ghost town. Jesus put a curse on them in this passage. In this moment when he spoke against them, He put a curse on them because he knew they would never repent. And these cities to this day have never been rebuilt. 
They eventually died off within a few hundred years after the time of Jesus, and they've never been rebuilt. They're all around the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is a major money maker for Israel. You would think that these three spots all on the water would be rebuilt. They have been providentially marked by the hand of God as places that are cursed. You can only soak up the gifts of God for so long before he turns off that faucet and says, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to follow me or are you just going to try to keep consuming? I think verses 23 and 24 speak something very interesting to us. Verses 23 and 24 say, and you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, it'll be far more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. When I look at this, Jesus says that the Gentile nations would have repented. That's the other nations that are mentioned here. One of them is Sodom, the famous Sodom and Gomorrah. He said if he'd have shown up in their town and done these same miracles, they would have repented. They would have been like the people of Nineveh. I think those who are privileged enough to have some knowledge of Jesus in the scriptures, listen to this, are most likely to assume they know the whole story and therefore miss God by drawing false conclusions. I'll read it to you again. Those who are privileged enough to have some knowledge of Jesus in the scriptures are most likely to assume they know the whole story and therefore miss God by drawing false conclusions. Look, just because God has done something mighty in your life, it doesn't mean the mighty God lives in your life. Have you ever, have you ever had those moments where somebody's talking to you and you, you know what they're gonna say and you're like, mm-hmm, yes, mm-hmm, okay, like you, you're like, you're saying that as they're saying the thing back to you. Have you had one of those moments? Yes, I have too. That's, that's called being rude. Um, and so like, that's very dismissive. And I have definitely done that. I have, I have been an over talker before. Uh, I, it's because I assume that I know what they're going to say. I assume I know what they're going to do. And you know what they say about assuming. We don't have to explain that. Uh, and so I remember my friend Dan Craddock, I was like 25 years old, and I've probably told this story before, but I only have one story about like this, about Dan, so I'm going to tell it again. Um, I was like 25 years old. I had taken a few seminary classes. I had definitely graduated college. I mean, I was in post-grad work. I knew some things. Like, what don't you know when you're 25? I knew some things. And so I was like very, very wise and smart and godly. And all the things. And Dan was telling me some stuff one day, and I did the whole, mm-hmm, yes, okay, all right. And it was, I mean, out of the loop, Dan, Dan is like not as tall as me. Dan is like also not as big as me. Dan's, Dan is small in stature. And, uh, and like just, he's probably, I don't know, 5'9", maybe. Um, and like I'm 6'4", and Dan was probably 20 plus years older than me. And he was just so nice. He kind of did like whatever I wanted. Uh, and, and I was just like, okay, Dan, I get it, I get it, I get it. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he slammed his fist on my desk. And he said, you Stop talking. Listen to me. 
And I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> He said, you think you know what I'm going to say next. You have no idea. I've lived much longer than you. I've done many more things than you. Why don't you shut up and learn for a minute? And I was like, it is time to take the back seat. It is time to learn from Dan. Dan had sold his part out in a tech company, basically retired at 45. Dan had lived so much, he had traveled the world. He had come to faith later in life and not only took his faith incredibly serious, worked at the church for free 40 hours a week. What was I thinking? Not trying to learn from Dan. I think that's what happens so often to so many of us. We hear a few sermons, we read a few books, and we're like, I got it. And then when God doesn't live up to our expectations, we're not quite sure what to do with him, but we'll figure it out because we're smart and we're capable and we're, we're resilient. We'll find some mentors, we'll find some people to help us, and we'll start, if we're not careful, listening to everybody else in the world but God, because you know what? We're good. We can figure this out on our own. And I think the Lord so often, in the kindest of ways, is slamming his fist on the desk of our lives and saying, stop talking. Listen to me. And that's exactly what he does in this passage. He's saying, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, stop it. You don't have me figured out. Let me be me and learn from me. But they don't. They overtalk him all the way to their graves. And so then we roll into what Jesus says after this kind but firm fist slam on the desk. And at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you revealed them to little children. And yes, Father, for such was your gracious will, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son cho chooses to reveal him. So come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." To the one who thinks that they've got God figured out, Jesus gives a word. And here is his word. You think you've got God figured out. He's hiding these things from you. You can't think you've got God figured out and him reveal things to you. To the one who thinks that they're wise, to the one who thinks that they're understanding, they've got this all on lock the Lord is hiding his face from you. But to the ones who are tired of talking and tired of explaining and tired of feeling like they have to know it all and have to have it all together, 
well, you've become like a little child. And he's revealed these things to you. It's the upside down kingdom. And this is the Lord's gracious will. I love that this is the the Lord's gracious will to to take his, his face and hide it from those like me when I was 25 in that office thinking I had it all figured out, or at least I had to have it all figured out. And sometimes we need the iron kind fist of the Lord to slam down in our lives and say, stop it. Don't, don't have it all figured out. Come to me like a child with wonder and questions. We were, I've been doing some, some work with one of my buddies on the weekend. Some, his name is Anders, and Heather and I went to Disney a few weeks ago with Anders and Katie and their three little boys, four, six, and two. And, uh, and that was a wild time. But let me just tell you the number one thing that happens is when it's all boys is either they fight each other or they ask you questions. And, and they have so many questions. Everything from like solar things, like heavenly celestial things, I don't know the answers, um, to like how long can that kid over there hold their breath in the pool? Like, I don't know that either. Um, but they have so many questions. And you know what? That's the mark. That's the mark of, of, of a grown-up also when they become like a child in approaching the Lord. There's so much awe and wonder and questions Lord, why did you do this? What are you doing here? How are you going to fix this? What's going to happen there? Why this? Why that? And it's all so good. That's the childlike behavior. Paul says this to the church in Corinth. Uh, one of, one, a passage that's been quoted around here at the church a bunch recently. I'll read you some of the verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 18. He says, The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discerning of the, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through folly of what we preach to save those who believe. I'll skip a few more verses. Verse 25, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you were in Christ Jesus, who became to us, the wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I think the word Jesus says to you who have put your hand over your mouth and said, enough of me in my understanding, to you who have been taught a false Jesus and a false gospel and are ready to know the real Jesus, I think he says you are blessed And to the exhausted, Jesus says to come and take and learn. 
I have been both a laborer, come to me all you who labor, and I have been heavy laden. When I was young, I was formed under a teaching that was very much legalistic. I had retribution theology as my main theology before I knew what to call it, and that is God blesses the righteous and he punishes the wicked. And so if I was righteous, it would go well with me, and if I was wicked, he would remove his mantle of protection and I would be harmed. I was formed under that ideology. If things weren't going well with me, people in my life would ask, are you in sin? And I would think, I don't think so, but I probably am because there's trouble in my life. And so I learned to develop a very legalistic system to the point that in college, I cut my hair. Blessed, I wish I still had that to cut. Um, I cut my hair. I cut my hair in a way that I thought would not bring attention to myself. I would wear clothes that I thought these won't draw attention to myself. What I want is for God to show up and not me. And none of those are bad things, but my whole life marched in a set of legalisms that were crippling. I had my quiet time religiously. Every day I spent time with the Lord. I read, I journaled, I prayed. And if I didn't, I would kind of self-harm and I would do push-ups to scripture to learn the scripture. Like I'm telling you, if like when Paul says he was zealous, I think for like a short period of time, I would have given him a run for his money. Like I was trying so hard to get God to look down from heaven and say that one, he's got it going on. Until finally, it burned me out. I was a laborer. And when it began to burn me out, well, what's left if you tried your best? Why not try some sin? And so I was lulled into some sin that was pretty serious. And I became so heavy laden and so guilt ridden that it got to the point where I had some moments that I thought maybe it would be better for Heather and for everybody else if I wasn't here. And I remember voicing that one day to a friend. We were, we were fishing, and I said, have you ever thought about that? And he was like, yeah, definitely. And he was in the same sin that I was in. And then one day in the midst of a super low moment, a friend sent me a bootleg CD of a man preaching about a Jesus that I didn't know. This Jesus was like really clever, and he had some, some humor mixed in with things like in the Sermon on the Mount that I had not noticed before. This man was extremely Jewish, this Jesus, and yet he loved the Gentiles. Um, he grew up in a, an incredibly religious system and yet never broke the law, but showed people how to live a new way. He was strong and fierce, and yet he was kind, and people were drawn to him, and I couldn't get enough. And I listened to bootleg sermon after bootleg sermon after boot. We were supposed to pay for these, and we didn't. Bootleg sermon after bootleg. I was in sin, you know? Like, it's fine. It was like the least of my sins at that point. And so, like, bootleg sermon after bootleg sermon after bootleg sermon, and something began to change in my life. 
I had been a laborer, and now I had become heavy laden, and I thought Jesus was saying to me these exact words. Thomas, you've tried to form me in your image, and it didn't work. You tried to run from me, and it didn't work. Why don't you just come to me? And don't, don't bring your stuff. Just, just come to me. And then take, take what I'm offering. And then why don't, we just, why don't you just learn from me? Like until you wash up on the shores of heaven, just learn from me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. These three things, to come, to take, and to learn. To come is to confess. To take is to submit. To learn is to follow. And when I was able to let go of my conceptions of God, my, my expectations of him, and confess that I just needed him, well, it wasn't that hard to say, let me submit. And let me take the yoke that you have and let me learn to follow you. And that's the journey I've been on since then, this learning and following and learning and following, and I'll never arrive. But the journey's so great, that's fine. This is one road trip you don't want to end. I think it's important to note that this idea of a yoke isn't just something that you think of when you think of two animals that are tied together in order to have more power to plow a field or to pull a wagon or something like that. A yoke actually was a rabbinical phrase that rabbis would use. And every rabbi would have some sort of yoke that when you agreed to follow them, you would, you would let go of the yoke of your culture and your society and those things, and you would take on this rabbi's yoke. And I think Jesus' yoke is summed up in Matthew 22, 37 through 39. I think we've got a slide of that. Matthew 22, 37 through 39, which says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The first step is simply to come to the real Jesus. Not the one you may have been taught, not the one that you're holding on to that you sure hope is gonna make that thing happen, but the one who is, the one who's doing what he's doing, who, who was and is and will be forevermore, who is unchangeable. It's to come to him and say, I choose you. No matter what you do, blessed is the one who is not offended by you, I choose you. And the second step is to then submit and say, so this is what my life is like now. You're going you're gonna to show me to, to love God with all my heart, and then you're going to show me how to love my neighbor as myself. And so that's, that's the yoke that I'm under now. And the third part of that is the, I think it's the most beautiful part. 
It's you hitched up with him all the rest of your days and he's showing you through all the seasons and all the moments and all the things. This is how we love God now. This is how we love our neighbor now. This is how we love God now. This is how we love our neighbor now. And it's this lifelong journey that rolls up into the shores of heaven. And it's this beautiful, incredible process. I think... Two, two more words. I want to tell you a story and then maybe a poem and we'll wrap it up. That's a sermon joke. Um, two, two more little things right here. I want to just show you this. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These are fun words in Greek. Easy and light. I don't know if you can see that. Can you see it? You can kind of. Um, easy and, and light. Do you know Greek, when you translate it, um, we translated it easy, but it actually means kind and light actually means agile. I don't know what yoke you're under. But I bet if it's not the yoke of Jesus, I bet ultimately the yoke you're under is cruel and cumbersome. It's either cruel to you and a bunch of other people or just you, or in some ways, all these other people, and you get a little bit of like sadistic benefit from it, but it's cruel somehow. And it's cumbersome because it's keeping you from who God made you to be, and you're fearfully and wonderfully made. The yoke of Jesus, 1 John 5, 3, the commands of God are not burdensome. The yoke of Jesus is kind, and it helps you move like a cat. It's a good yoke to be under. Last Thursday, um, I was at, uh, at Taqueria del Sol because little Ray was undergoing um, maintenance. And so when you pass by little Ray and it's undergoing maintenance, you go to Taq del Sol. And so I rolled up to Taq del Sol with, um, with a guy who was here tonight who I said I wouldn't say who it was, so I won't. Um, but he, he's happy to tell you. Um, but rolled up to Taq del Sol, and, uh, and he and I sat there, and we had this long conversation at lunch uh, to where I finally just said, hey, what? I did the car salesman trick. Um, if we ever have an evangelistic conversation, me and you, it'll probably, you'll probably hear the car salesman trick too. Um, so just pretend like you haven't. But he, he was saying, like, I, I think I'm ready to follow Jesus, but there had been a lot of like deconstructing and unlearning because he had been taught a Jesus that was partly true, but partly not true. And so it was one or two degrees off, which was creating a false gospel. And because of a bunch of you interacting with him and the Lord working, he started to realize these people really believe what they say. And maybe I've just missed who Jesus is and I've made him something that he's not. And so we have this long conversation, and I said, uh, I said, so let me just ask you the same question that the first guy that sold me a car, which I bought, asked me. Um, he, said, he said, so what's keeping you from making the decision? And, uh, and he said, at lunch, at Talk Del Sol, at our little table, he said, I don't know. And it was like kind of loud. And, uh, and so he said, I don't know. And then he said, what do I do? And I said, well, and I basically said, you come to Jesus, and you, then you take what he's offering, and then you start this process of learning from him. 
And so then it got awkward um, because we're like at Talk Del Sol. And, uh, and so we were like, I was like, I probably need to end this. This is getting weird. So I was like, you ready to go? And he was like, yeah. And so we, we hop in the car and it was a great conversation. We hop in the car and when we get to the car, inside the car, he said, it was weird in there, but I'm ready. And I said, ready for what? Like, I didn't know if we were going for ice cream. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure where we were headed. Um, he said, I'm ready. And he said, what do I do? And I said, I think you just need to tell the Lord what's on your heart. And then he said, this is weird. And I said, I know, you drive, I'll pray, then you pray. And so he puts it in reverse, backs up, we start heading out. You know, it's not far from like Talk Del Sol to here. And so I was like, we gotta do this quick. Um, and so it'll get weird again if the car stops. And so, and so we, uh, I just prayed and I thanked the Lord for what the Lord was doing in his life. And then he just said, I think one of the sweetest prayers I've ever heard. And he said, Jesus, I, I'm sorry. I have not been a great person and I made some bad choices and I want to come back. And that's what Jesus is saying right here. He's like, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, you laborers, you, you self-righteous, you, you heavy laden, you sinners, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. And that's a true statement, whether you have been a Christian for 20 years or whether tonight is the night you become a Christian, because we all drift from this. And this is where we recenter and we say, Jesus, I need to come back to you. Not the you I want you to be. I just need to come to you. I need to get back under your yoke. I want to learn with you. I'm going to pray for us. Our band is going to come and lead us in a couple of songs. And if you want somebody to pray with you, we have a great group every week in the back that would love to pray with you. They can pray as specific or as general as you want. But sometimes in these moments when it's, I want to come back, it's really great to have somebody pray with you. Lord, I thank you that when we come to Jesus by his goodness and grace, when we really come to Jesus, not the Jesus we've won or the Jesus we've heard, but like the real Jesus, when we really come to him, it's like the old song says, all fear is gone. All striving ceases and all rest is realized. And it doesn't matter what our current circumstance is, that is true. And so, Lord, would you just bring to our minds and our hearts, have we, have we really come to you? Have we really taken your yoke upon us, which is light and easy? It's kind and agile. And Lord, we're really willing to learn from you because it's so great to learn with you, from you. So, Lord, would you just move in our hearts today? Just renew us, regenerate us, bring us to Jesus. Let us put our hands over our mouths and say, I don't have to say anything else. I just want to follow you, Jesus. It's in his name we pray, Lord. Amen.